The Karen people have always lived in the forests of Myanmar. They're wonderful people. We used to look down upon them when we have an ordained tree ceremony one time. An official came and he said, these bloody Karen, they used to obey me. Now they ask questions and they have now empowering. And those currents, I have worked with them and I respect them, you know, they have their own local wisdom and they now empower themselves, they are proud of themselves now, which is tremendous. They preserve the environment better than us. We should learn from them. Sulak Sivaraksa, Bangkok-based Siamese intellectual and Buddhist. You must go to meet people, the suffering people, and suffering, dukkha in Buddhism, is not only personal suffering, social suffering, environmental suffering. You must understand that. Sulak's sending us on the fourth and final stage of our journey through the forests of Southeast Asia. We're going into Myanmar, Burma, as the colonialists called it, to meet the Karen people. The cause of suffering comes from greed, hate and delusion. Buddhist root is very simple. To give is more important than to take. And you learn to transform greed into generosity. You learn to transform hatred into loving kindness. And ultimately, you learn to give up selfishness in order to serve all sentient beings. Ajahn Sulak tells us this philosophy is the way of life in the Karen villages. Mabu, yeah. sure. what are we doing? We're going to the, uh, the village. Okay, and how are we going to get there? We, we get the boat yep. to, the, to the village. Yeah. Okay. Cross the other side to the Karen We've driven seven hours west of Chiang Mai to get here through rainforest along a dirt road. And we're going to cross the river now for a meeting of Karen forest rangers from around the region. They're planning what they call a peace park, which is both a political statement and a way of creating a place where the Karen can live free of conflict. We've just hopped into one of the long boats that Thais use on their busy rivers. But this one's in the middle of nowhere. It's red and blue and it has a fearsome engine. We're crossing into a part of Myanmar that suffered 68 years of war. British, Japanese and most recently Burmese armies have left the local Karen internally displaced living in refugee camps along the Thai border and as far away as Australia and the US. But the human misery of conflict made it too dangerous even for armed poachers, and so, perversely, large areas of rainforest were preserved, in which many animals and Karen people still live. So let's slip now, unobserved, beneath the noisy canopy. Uh, along our our travel here, you will see many many plants like a uh, mixed cropping, mixed bit, cropping, trees, banana, pineapple, bitterness leaves. They are not doing for the business, just for the family eat. Yeah. But these trees here are banana. Banana, yeah. Yeah. And pineapple. What they need to eat, they take it. Yeah. They don't collect, you know, a lot. This world is alive with sound and with water. 
It's busy. On the way to the village, we stop to look around the forest, which is in fact a produce garden and a temple to the Karen. Saw Mabu Jaraprapprung, or Mabu, has come with us to teach a forest management course to the young rangers. Yeah. So there's a little pipe where you can gather a bamboo pipe where you yeah. can gather the water from. Yeah, you can take a shower, you can drink whatever you want. It has a slight soapy, minerally taste to it, the water. But it's very, very clear and there's a lot of it. Okay, let's go. There are people too. I can see a man up ahead with a bag on his shoulder, walking down the narrow path towards us. Uh, well, if you see this, this frog, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, safe, water the water. Is, uh, the water is healthy, yeah? The water healthy. If no more this frog... <laughs> the man with the shoulder bag reaches us. Hi. What, what have you got here? Eggplant La here? Eggplant is the last, the last paddy. From the last paddy farm. How far away is that? One, one hour. One hour They're walking. Going back yeah. two hours. Is that bamboo? Bamboo shoot. Oh, can I smell? Yeah. You can, you can boil it and take it soft inside. You do with chilies. Yeah, okay. It's a root. That's lunch. This is good for malaria. You get in, you take a bar, boil it, it and then drink. Do people get malaria a lot? Yeah. This is we call nyapojo, and the malaria go. Another kind of medicine sits by the path here. A tiny basket filled with what looks like leaves and herbs. Oh, uh, medicine, cure for the, the patient. An offering. Yeah, offering. When the, they put a, the bitterness, chilies, salts together, and then they put here, they pray, and then they call the name of the patients, and they, they pray for the spiritual. Another method. And it's a, it's a little bamboo basket with a bamboo few basket. little leaves yeah. inside. The bitterness, uh, rice, a little bit of rice put together. It's a meal. Yeah, meal. It's a meal for the spirits. Yeah. This is, you take a bag and then you make it, you, you wash it your hair. This is uh, a kind of, uh, because in the village they, they cannot buy a shampoo, they, they take this bag and they mix with the water and they wash it the hair. So do you have to dry it or do you just take ah, it fresh? Fresh. Okay. fresh? fresh. Also here in the forest with us is Paul Saintoi, who works for the KNU, the Karen National Union. He stops by a large sawn off trunk the Karen here cut down plenty of trees as they manage the forest, build their houses, outbuildings, schools and church halls, and use wood for cooking fuel. But they are very selective. This, in their KNU forestry guidelines, you have to cut the trees about your chest height. It should be uh, 3.5 feet in girth. After that, it will shoot up. And then the forester, they have to cut and leave only one shoot like this so that it grows straight. And, uh, actually, the system is uh, coming from the British government selective system where you go and do the forest inventory. You cut uh, only the bark, you cut to the hard meat of yeah, wood and then you leave it. So you cut it around 
leave it standing like that for one year, it will be dry and the leaves will fall, the branches, small one will, will break. You know? And then once you come and cut it down, it will have less impact on other trees. So that when you actually come to cut the tree, what you're cutting down is just a pole. Yeah, the pole, yeah. And then the pole will fall through the branches of the trees around it and come to rest on the ground without having damaged the surrounding forest. Yes, it will damage some, but very minimal, yeah. Oh, it's going to get wet. <laughs> it is wet. <laughs> shall, we, shall we go into the dry? Yeah. <laughs> Betelnut tree. Betelnut tree. So this is what you guys are all chewing all the time. Yes, there is. Yeah, they planted. A steep, slippery slope, a large bamboo, teak and palm leaf house amongst the trees, and our walk is over. Darkness falls like that, and frogs begin to drown out raindrops. Now Mabu begins his real job. Along with Paul, it's a week's course teaching 15 forest rangers who've come on foot and by boat from far and wide for their training by the forestry department of the Karen National Union. The KNU is the political organisation that represents the Karen minority in Myanmar and whose armed wing, the Karen National Liberation Army, or KLNA, has been fighting since 1949, firstly for an independent Karen state and more recently for independence within a federal Myanmar. For the past five years, there's been a ceasefire, although the Burmese army maintains more than 80 army bases in this small part of Myanmar alone. During a break in the lectures and films, powered by a diesel generator back down the slope, the young rangers lounge around on the bamboo matting, some in jeans, others in the traditional sarong type, the longi. They're watching a range of films and videos on their mobiles, three or four of them together, craning their necks to see the tiny screens. Mobile phones have never worked as actual phones here, but they're used as music and video stores. Google Karen Rap and you'll enter a new diaspora of young rappers singing for independence in English and Karen. Karen sign sign and has the scallywag from the Midwest gonna be rapping for you. Yossi Barry like it's a popcorn and this one's gonna be one hell of a show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's hit it. I asked Paul to explain how he sees the ceasefire. In the, during the ceasefire time, I compare it like uh, when the two sides are fighting against each other, they get tired and they say, OK, now we will take a rest. And then how do we take over that land? Let's find out a way to take advantage. So this is the, the ceasefire we've seen in the, in the country, it's like that. The pattern of exploitations and conflicts and war is that 
the government sends out their troops to the area where they think that they can do mining, logging, build a dam or something like that. And, and then they, they militarize that. And then they build the road infrastructure and then they bring in the investment, right? And then usually those investments, they always have a share in their businesses. Right? Paul and the Karen have seen previous ceasefires end badly. What's going on here, now, in this hut, is part of an initiative to use this ceasefire in their own way. They're creating what they call a peace park, a huge area of over 5,000 square kilometres, defined by them as protected, fully surveyed and legally binding. It's a statement of intent that dams, logging, gold mining, poaching and top-down militarised development are not wanted here. And all Karen Forest communities are taking part. Just like here, Rangers are being trained across the region and every village is electing representatives and drawing up forest village boundaries. They're doing it themselves, but they need outside help to fund all this training and infrastructure building. This is why Claire Campbell's become involved in funding the ranger activities. Well, they're supposed to be looking for signs of illegal activity, but not only that, they're supposed to be looking for for signs of wildlife and documenting that. There's so much of this area that we haven't covered in terms of camera trapping surveys. So much more research needs to be done in terms of what wildlife is actually in here. That's hugely exciting. There could be species we haven't even discovered yet. What have you discovered here? There seems to be a reasonable population of tigers here. Um, tigers here is a really promising sign. Um, leopards, and we've found evidence of leopards with cubs, so that means there's a breeding population. We found a really solid prey base, which is what is missing in so many areas in Asia where you've got pretty much empty forest syndrome. You've got the forest and the habitat, but there's nothing left in it. But here, based on the camera trap surveys we've found, you've got top-level predators and then full prey base as well. The prey base is deer, pigs, small mammals, all kinds of things. There's a huge number of mammal species that we've found. We've actually found um, tigers, leopards and dole, just a small dog species, in the same territory. And you don't find that really anywhere else because they tend to displace one another because they don't have enough food to eat. So that's a really positive sign that there's, there's plenty of wildlife left here. Claire has extensive experience in wildlife conservation across the region and her NGO Wildlife Asia is one of a new breed of small, almost unofficial organisations working in areas that larger, better-known charities can't. This is a long-term conflict zone, not a place you can get visas for, not a place where negotiation is possible. So why bring in a couple of journalists when you're trying to stay beneath the radar? It's just finding that balance between when are we actually exposing these species to greater risk versus when do we have to alert the rest of the world. But that means that you've done that because you think this is the time to alert the rest of the world, which means you do think that some kind of conflagration is coming. 
Yeah, we do. We know that there are dams in various stages of planning process and even in the approval process at the moment. So this could be all happening within the next year or two. This is the moment when we've got this once in a lifetime opportunity to protect what's left here. We need the world to know the value of what is here and the urgency to protect it. So if they start, you know, if they start putting major roads through these habitats, then it's too late. You know, we have been protesting against the dam for over 10 years, but that is before the ceasefire. But after the ceasefire, there are more new threats and uh, pushing for the dam is become stronger because if you wanted to hold on to the you know, ceasefire agreement, you don't want to break that, then the government said, oh, we will build it, you know. And if you shoot at then the ceasefire is over. P- over. This is why we said that we have to find more other ways to you know, keep putting uh, layers of protection. So the Peace Park is one program, one initiative that we're trying to uh, protect our territory and we said, stop, you know, the dam. The park plan is in layers. There'll be untouchable wilderness. It'll have different zones for hunting, for farming, for the villagers to live in as they've always done, subsisting on forest resources without destroying them. And this requires the complex mapping of how many animals and plants there are and where they are. And such detail then means being able to say, no, you can't do this here, but you could perhaps do it there. It's actually all about data collection and scientific proof and technology and camera traps, satellite navigation. And finally, all this information replacing guns. You've said a number of times during this conversation, we're putting plans in place We are working on that. It sounds as if you have a quite large and fully functioning civil service bureaucracy. It sounds like you have government (laughs) departments working on this. Yeah. Do you? The unique thing about the KNU is that they function as a de facto government. They have uh, forestry department, they have agricultural department, they have health, education, etc., etc. So the, the KNU constitutions say that people living in the KNU country area, a family of five or seven, need to let one child serve in the KNU as a nurse, as a teacher, or if a boy, they have to serve as an army or something like that in the army, right? And who's some of the children from this village go down to the refugee camp yeah. for the week? to go to school, yeah, to go to school, high school. Yeah. So the primary school is yeah. here in the village, yeah. but once they get to high school, yeah, they, they take the boat, the, the they go to the refugee camp for, yeah. for the week. Who's paying the teachers in these camps? Some uh, humanitarian NGOs they fund the, the school, and then in the village, either the villagers themselves, they pull together the money and uh, resources to support the school. The training comes to an end, and as heads begin to droop, the evening film, Rabbit Proof Fence. Uh, no, this report from Constable Riggs about the three little half-caste girls at the Jigalong. The story of three little Aboriginal girls forced removal from their families. Their escape from the authorities 
and their long walk home across Australia. It's a cleverly chosen film and its layered themes of colonialism and violent oppression are not lost on us miles from anywhere in the pitch black forest. Suddenly this all seems extremely important, like the most important news story in the world. My head's spinning with the complexity of human interaction and history in this loud, peopled, teeming forest where the calls of frogs and crickets can become the singing of children in the bamboo church hall. Mabu takes us back through the village. Sometimes the villagers saw the tiger come close to the village. They believed that when they saw the tiger, that is the owner of the rice. The tiger blesses the rice crops. When they see it, they are happy. They are not killing. If you kill it, you never ever enough food for every year. It began to rain so hard, I could hardly hear myself speak. We're sitting here at a teak table on a teak bench in a room framed with teak and bamboo walls. And there's a roof made of palm leaves all tied together with plant twine, which is really solid in a way that any roofer would recognise and not a single drop's getting through. The rains are setting in and they won't stop till November. What have we got over here? This is a babushu. Soup. Babushu soup and babushu fry. Right now I'm eating the, the babushu. The babushu came, uh, come from the forest. And then the, the, the chicken, the chicken is come from uh, the village chicken, not a hybrid chicken. Yeah, also eggplant, eggplant for the far, farming. And yeah. the rice? They, they grow here, they grow here a lot. What do you do here in the rainy season when it's raining all day, every day? You hibernate. <laughs> are they fighting? Yes. What are the differences between this story here, the Karen's situation and what you're doing in Indonesia? Here, the local people already understand and desire to protect their wildlife in forests. You don't always get that in Indonesia. The other difference is in most areas in Indonesia, we're working in habitat that is already so compromised. We're trying to salvage the last scraps of forest, whereas here, you know, there are still areas of forest here that, sadly, as a result of decades of civil conflict, it's kind of meant that the wildlife and forest remain intact. We're starting with nature already in balance. We've just got a very small window of opportunity to keep it that way. We can hear that this forest contains wildlife. I've been in other forests in Asia. You know you're in an empty forest because the forest is silent. The birds are gone. Nature's not in balance. I mean, you only have to sit here to, to hear and smell and see that the forest isn't degraded, that it, this is how the forest is meant to be. 
From West Kalimantan in Indonesia, where the forests are increasingly silent, through Vietnam, where the pangolin are quickly being rolled up and consumed, and the heavily poached rosewood forests of eastern Thailand, to here, in the Karen part of Myanmar, this, at last, is a place where there's real hope for the environment. In a territory where the Karen people are only just emerging from 68 years of war and displacement, there might be a global model for a way forward. A forest still brimming with life has the potential to survive, with its human population still living here. But big business is massing on the borders. I still believe that the poachers are, are going to come thick and fast. It's, it's not a joke. That, like Climate change is runaway climate change. We won't be able to do anything about it if we don't stop forest destruction. And those currents, I have worked with them and I respect them. You know, They have their own local wisdom. They live for so many generations. They preserve the environment better than us. We should learn from them. Paul remembers the young Karen soldiers coming to the village and laughing about being shot at by the Burmese. Oh, the Burmese chased after me with guns, you know, and then I run, and the other guys, aha! You see, it's not a joke, it's a <laughs> dreams. You know, we keep also have that dreams, uh, bad dreams about about that. You know, it's quite uh, difficult to get rid of those memories you now. And it's worth saying that there is a Burmese army camp only half a day's march away. Four hours on foot. Yeah. And, and so all the Karen people who know, you know, you trust all of them, don't you? Yeah, we trust the Karen people around here and then also the KNU soldiers that also taking the security for the villagers in this area. So we will, we will know that the Burmese soldiers are coming. Thank you. Are you afraid? No. Nah. No, because you're here. <laughs> so I just want to, I'm standing in front of you and you're wearing a very absolutely clean, sparkling blue T-shirt which says in nice yellow writing on it, Salween Peace Park. Can you turn round for me so I can see your back? And actually you've got wonderful long hair, so I can't remember, but it says, <laughs> tied back and it says, uh, Gretchen, you might want to read it. A place for all living things to share peacefully. Responsibility for you and me, stay in unity, everybody. My enemy is buried six feet deep in my private cemetery.